So you may or may not have noticed that we are in green time, <laughs> in case it had escaped you. That's ordinary time, meaning ordered rather than boring, although when you listen to sermons that get preached, you might have a different opinion. But it basically means not interrupted by special events that happen from time to time. But I like the term for it that we use when we're leading godly play with children. And we call the green season green growing time because it is a season of growth, a huge season of growth that takes up about half of our year. The growth of ourselves and our faith and our relationship with God and with Jesus and the growth of the church. And I thought when I read that reading from the Gospel today that it is especially fitting for ordinary time, for green growing time, because actually there's something in there about both of those aspects. There is the literal spreading of the message, therefore the growth of the faith, but there's also the growth of the individual 70 followers as they grow in their confidence to go out into the world as mission. Now, we could say all sorts of things about that, but I want to talk today about three themes. Expansion, perception, and comparison. And it's really helpful that they all end in an un, because it makes it easy for you to remember. And I think that all of those three themes, expansion, perception, and comparison, are woven through today's gospel passage and picked up in that letter to the Galatians as well. But I also think that they remain really pertinent to the situation we find ourselves in today, both as individuals, as this church, and as the church everywhere. So let's start with expansion. So, green growing time, the growth of the early church. Today we saw the 70, or possibly 72, depending on which translation you read, but the 70, it's quite a lot of them, get sent out by Jesus to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. But if we look at this reading in the bigger, bigger picture of Luke, we start to get a sense of where our place in this might be. So here you go. Chapter 8 turn back a few pages, it's all about Jesus and his work, about his journeys, his preaching, his teaching. Chapter 9 was focused on the 12 core disciples and Jesus dealing with them. Chapter 10, which is where we are today, is about this sending out of the 70. Now, Flick forwards several pages, keep going, keep going. You have to skip a massive bit in between, but go to Luke's second volume of the book of Acts. Some helpful person stuck John in the middle, but nevertheless, they are two, two parts of the same story. Look ahead, and what you see there is the history of the whole church as it spreads out, not just in Israel, but across the whole known world at the time, the, basically the enormous Roman Empire. And where are we in all this? Because actually, as we sit here week by week, it is very easy to think of ourselves as being few in number, being the minority, struggling along like the 12 or possibly the 70, a declining church in a secular world. But the reality is that we are about 2,000 chapters on from Acts. 
And we are here today because of what these 70 did and what the 12 did and what Jesus did. And that is good news. And we have to believe that this expansion, whether it looks like it or not, is actually continuing because it is God's pattern of things. Sometimes it's hard to see. But that really is about perception, which brings me to that second point. So, I wonder, ask yourselves, are you really a glass half full or a glass half empty sort of person? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I wonder if you'd be divided (laughs) side by side. Well, as a church... I think we generally, and I don't just mean here, I mean as a wider church, we tend towards the glass half empty side of things. Numbers are falling, says the church times. Congregations are aging, they remind us. We have no children, we say all the time. The Church of England as we know it is dying and it used to be better when, insert any number of things here, depending on what you're like. But look at Jesus' words to the 70 as he sends them out today. The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. I wonder what that means to you. I wonder what tone you have in your head as you read it. Because it would be very easy to read it in a pessimistic tone. (sighs) The harvest is plentiful but the labourers are few. We haven't got enough volunteers or helpers. We can't do anything. Or even we could read it in a sceptical tone. Well, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. The world, they out there just aren't interested in our message. That harvest, I don't think it's there. It's not like the good old days. But actually, how does Jesus say that in your head, really? If you imagine yourself stood in front of him, what does his voice sound like? Do you think that he was pessimistic or sceptical? Because I don't. Try as I might, and I've sat with this week, and I've done the whole um, Ignatian contemplation thing, and no time did he sound pessimistic or sceptical. The harvest is plentiful. The labourers are few. Pray for more is what Jesus says, because he saw the abundant possibility. He saw all that the 70 could achieve with excitement. The more workers that he talks about praying for are simply so that more could happen. The expansion could go on. And presumably, it did. There's lots of chapters missing, but we are here today. It will continue to happen if we take Jesus' optimism and enthusiasm and his sense of abundance rather than an easy habitual stance of scarcity. What if we take our place alongside those 70? 
There's something I was rather struck. I always like it when I agree with a bishop. It always makes me feel very good about myself. But did you read Bishop Roberts' address this week? It actually, someone has very helpfully recreated it in the um, pew sheet, so I know I'm onto the right track. And he talks about this changing of our attitude, our changing of perception from one of lack to one of possibility. He's talking particularly about changing the sense of vacancy without a priest to an expectancy of what is to come. But I think that chimes beautifully with what I've just said about perception. It's about changing our mindset. Now, Jesus is not being a deluded optimist here because the rest of the passage shows how clear he is that he is aware of the difficulties and challenges to come. He talks about being sent out as lambs among wolves. He says that people will reject these 70 and the message that they carry. But look right ahead to the end of today's gospel passage. And there Jesus acknowledges all the great deeds that they have done in his name when they come back. And yet, he says, do not rejoice at all of this great stuff, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Which seems an odd thing to say until you realise that this too is about a perception shift. And so I wonder, what did success look like for those 70? What were they hoping to achieve? What did success look like to those early churches throughout the empire. What does success look like for the church today? At the end of this passage, Jesus is clear to the 70, but it is not about what they achieve or what, about, what they do, but it's their relationship with God. Their value and yours and mine, thank goodness, is not about what we manage to achieve but in that we are beloved children of God with a rightful place in the kingdom that we are proclaiming. And that mindset requires something of a paradigm shift when we live in a world that measures everything and measures results. Our value is in our place with God. And that brings us to my third topic, comparison. I don't think we really should be measuring success, but we do. We count our numbers. We look outside and see how everyone else is doing. And all too often, in the church particularly, we do it by comparing ourselves to others, to how some other church somewhere is doing. They're doing better than us. We're really bad at it, aren't we? They've got more money, they've got more leaders, they've got all the children, they're doing better, therefore we are failing. But that is not necessarily true. Whilst we should rightly hold ourselves to account and make sure that we don't fall into complacency, I don't think that there is much place for competition in the kingdom. It serves no one, it does not serve our message and it tends to distort our perception of things and actually steal our joy. And I think that this is what Paul is getting at in his letter to the Galatians. 
He's talking about having an honest and realistic perception of ourselves, but he's quite clear that comparison is not the answer. All must test their own work, he says. Then that work, rather than their neighbour's work, will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads. It doesn't really matter what that other enormous church, whichever one it might be, over there is doing. What are we doing? And are we doing it to the best that we can? Are we doing it for the right reasons? Are we doing it for God rather than to look successful? And I love that line from Paul, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. Now, I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what that will look like for the Christian faith as a whole, for the Church of England, or for the church in this place. But I do have absolute faith that someone does. The Lord of the harvest knows what is going on and has it in hand. And so the only thing that I have left to say today is go, although not right now, hang on till the end. (laughs) Go like the 70. Do what you can, not what you can't. And tell people quite simply that the kingdom of God is near. And don't give up. Remember, those 70 were sent in pairs. They didn't go alone and you don't go alone. You go together and God always goes with you. Now, I came across a prayer this week um, from the vocations department at the diocese, and it really spoke to me for all these things that I have just been saying. And so let us pray this together before we come to a close. Loving God, We thank you because you call us all to participate in your work, that all people may find their joy and peace in you. Open our hearts to you and enable us to listen to your Holy Spirit. Enlighten our minds that we may discern the path that we should follow. Give us courage to live out the life you invite us to, following more closely the example of Jesus, your Son, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.